our series on the Holy Spirit has led us to looking at the gifts that the Spirit gives. These are all generated by the grace of God. They're dispensed to believers as the Spirit wills, and not everyone possesses them. Today we're looking at the spiritual gift of giving, and while not everyone possesses the gift, there is a certain measure that all of us as believers are to be good stewards and, and givers from the resources that God has given to us, whether we possess the gift or not. So I want you to be encouraged today if you possess the gift, but I also want you to consider some practical applications even if you don't possess the gift, that we would honor God through the giving, the investing, if you will, of all of the resources beyond our money that God gives to us. Are we being good stewards of what he has given? Corey Ten Boom put it this way. She said, the measure of a life, after all, is not in its duration, but its donation. It's not that you live for a long time, but what do you leave behind? What have you invested? What have you really invested in, in advancing the gospel, in making disciples? What are you leaving behind in order to do that? Charles Spurgeon put it to us this way. He said, in all of my years of service to the Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Now, Charles Spurgeon was was not propagating or teaching the often uh, what we hear today in the teaching of the prosperity gospel. That's not what he's talking about here. We do find in the scriptures this idea that as we hold loosely the good gifts that God's given to us, they, they could be money, talents, abilities, our giftedness in itself, all of the other resources that we have, uh, whether they're spiritual or material resources. We hold those things loosely and we heavily invest them in kingdom work for, for the making of disciples, for the advancing of the gospel. God does look kindly upon that and he does reward that kind of a lifestyle. It doesn't mean that you will receive wealth from him and that you'll be wealthy uh, and that you'll have excess and abundance. No, in fact, quite often those people who, who give away uh, uh, all kinds of abundance and don't keep but just very little for themselves, they forfeit any hope of wealth at all. So it can't mean that. I think it has to do with the idea that Paul was trying to communicate to the Philippian church. It was read earlier today. He was talking to them and he was saying to them that they were called to give and they answered the call. In fact, they did it in an amazingly remarkable way. We're going to look at their example as we get into our study a little further. But it was to that impoverished church who, who gave beyond their ability, probably much to the surprise of the apostle, that this promise was made. You remember that promise? My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They were promised that God's abundance was going to be given to them in such a way as that they would have all that they needed. If they were generous and as they were generous, 
That was a promise that was given to them. They were sacrificially generous, and so God promises to take care of them. I think that's what Charles Spurgeon is talking about here. He certainly is not talking about health and wealth coming your way and you having excessive abundance in material wealth. But God does make that promise and he does supply the needs of his children who are generous. John Stott reminds us of these words. Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. It's all selflessness. It needs to be motivated to be proper and effective. It needs to be motivated in this way, but Yet how often can something as good as giving be perverted because of a wrong motive? So as we talk about giving today and exercising the gift, I want you to consider your motivation for doing so. There are many who want to be noticed for their giving. They want recognition. They want some form of of, uh, being recognized and something out of their giving. And so that's what's motivating them to give, yet we're reminded it's really about self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness. We're going to look at a scripture that really brings that home today and reminds us of a proper motivation in giving. It's sad, isn't it, that our human hearts are so deceptive that we can even make giving self-centered and all about us? Isn't that sad? We need to avoid this. A giver's basic motivational drive is to conserve and share resources in order to meet needs. Givers take special delight in discovering needs that others overlook and then meeting those needs. And maybe some of you are saying this morning, that's me, I love that. Well, maybe that's an affirmation that you have the spiritual gift of giving. You remember the illustration that we shared as we got into the series of the scene of a large family gathering following a a great uh, meal together and someone's bringing the dessert out of the kitchen and somehow stumbles and loses the dessert and it falls in the floor and I ask for you to consider what is your initial response to that right some of you would say I'm out of here. I'm going to go buy another dessert because as good Americans, we don't skip dessert, right? So I'm going to go get the dessert and I'll buy it and I'm bringing it back and we're going to have dessert. It doesn't matter. I'm out of here. Some of you would do that. You would take of your means, you'd go buy something and you'd bring it back. You may have the gift of giving if that's how you look at that situation. Others of you have different responses and we've been through that and pointed out how that may affirm your giftedness. Holding the resources loosely, using them, right, to provide something that is needed in the moment, and just spending, investing, utilizing, leveraging the resources that you have, the gift of giving. Let me give you some basic principles. We're going to get into this. These are basic principles, and uh, then we're going to talk about things that describe characterize those who serve well with the gift of giving. And then we're going to look at an example in the Macedonian churches. So we're going to unpack these compartments. But as I begin, I just want to share some basic principles about giving. 
these could apply to our money and they could really apply to anything and everything else considered to be a resource, a good gift that God's given to us. So some basic principles. First of all, please note that it doesn't matter what your situation in life is, you have something to offer that can be invested in eternity. You have something that's valuable to God. You may not have a lot of money as you sit here today, and you're going, yeah, I, I give to the church. I, I give as much as I possibly can. I don't have a lot, but, you know, I give my widow's might. I just, I give as much as I can. Let me encourage you to go beyond just your money and think about what other resources you could leverage and invest to advance the gospel and to make disciples. You can heavily invest in kingdom work and not have a lot especially when it comes to material resources and money. You can heavily invest just through the other resources that God has given to you. So you may feel like you're in poverty today. You look at your financial uh, situation and go, man, I, I'm, I'm in poverty. I don't have a lot. I just want to say to you, you're important to God. It doesn't matter. You are important to God. And what God has given to you is valuable for the sake of eternity. And I want to encourage you, even if you just don't have a lot, that you would consider how God would have you use and invest what you do have and just do it for his glory regardless. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum this morning. You do have a lot. God has just abundantly blessed you. You've got more than you need, maybe more than you could ever use. And I want to encourage you in your stewardship of those things that no matter what your situation is, one end of the spectrum to the other and everything in between. You possess resources that are valuable and that can make a difference in eternity if we together purpose to hold them loosely and invest them in kingdom work. So regardless of our situation, regardless, we are called to this activity. Some do it through the giftedness. Others who don't have it, develop it anyway and give. We also will see that giving is to be done with generosity. We're not to be doing it in a stingy way. We give just enough, right, to appease our conscience, just enough, or maybe we don't give at all because we think everyone else will take care of it, and so we don't give at all. No, giving is to be done generously. You see on the table in front of us this morning, we'll partake of the elements, the broken bread and the juice uh, in a little bit. And this, of course, is an example and a display today of incredibly generous giving. It's unbelievable, isn't it, to consider what the table symbolizes today? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son. That's the demonstration of his love. He loved us, so he gave to us this incredible, unbelievable gift would you do that? Think about it with me. You're in a situation. You can give up your child to be brutalized, murdered in a horrific way so that others would benefit. Would you make that choice? Would you make that choice? I'm convinced only God could do that. I look at it, and I'm looking at you, and I'm going, sorry, you're going to have to suffer. I just don't think I could give my son to be brutalized for you. I'm just not there. I'm just not there. 
Stephen just wiped the sweat off his brow. He's very happy for that. I'm just not there. God is. I think only God can love like that. Only God can give like that. I'm not there. I don't think I'll ever be there in this life. I'm just not there. But God did. And he sets the pace and the standard and the example for our own generosity with the resources that we have for his glory, for the good of others. And don't forget this too as we talk about it today. Giving goes beyond your money. Often we focus on money. Give your money. Give in the offer. We, we do depend on that. We do need that. We have encouraged you to give of your financial resources so that we can continue making disciples. All of that depends on your financial giving. We do not get funds anywhere else. It all comes from our people who gather here in this faith community. However, it takes more than that, beyond that, other things than that, to make it all go and to make disciples. There are so many other resources beyond our money that we should be heavily investing, whether we have the gift or not, for the sake of the gospel, for the making of disciples. So when we talk about it today, I want you to think beyond your money. We're going to talk about some money stuff, but I want you to apply this beyond your money. And again, think about the resources that you have that you can leverage to make disciples with and give generously in that, no matter what situation you find yourself in today. So those who serve well with the gift of giving, I think, are going to manifest some characteristics. I just want to run through these characteristics. One of them I'm going to develop a little more than the others, and that is the first one. These who, who serve well with the gift are really good managers of their resources. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're wealthy, right? Some of the people who have this gift in our ministry who give and give and give of their financial resources, if you were to look at the bottom line, they don't really have a lot. But they've lived a lifestyle through good, biblical, common sense management of their resources that allows them to give in a way that boggles the minds of onlookers because they look at it and go, wow, I would have never expected that. Well, these people who have the gift tend to be good managers. They're, they're thinking about how, what life decisions can I make that will, that will allow me to heavily invest, and they really live their life that way. That may come into the equation of their decision-making process before they let go of resources to, to buy something. They're thinking does this make sense with, with what I would like to invest in advancing the gospel? Those with the gift of giving and those who don't have the gift of giving, if they're serving well through giving, are going to consider things like that. What does this mean? Can I challenge you and encourage you with some of these things? Well, it involves spending less than you earn. Living what we might say well within your means, not right up to the boundary, but somewhere within the boundary of the means that God is providing for you. And you're going to discipline yourself and you're not going to impulsively overspend. You're going to stay within the boundaries and you're going to have enough of a boundary so that you can heavily invest through your resources into, into kingdom work. And that takes some doing, doesn't it? All of us probably have had to adjust some things over the last year or two, right? Because... Everything has gone up. Anybody know of anything, the price of anything that's gone down? 
I was trying to think of that the other day. Is there anything that's gone down, actually? Maybe you know of something. I don't know. But I, I thought, wow, everything's gone up, right? Everything. So that affects you, right? That affects your resources and what's available. And we have to make lifestyle adjustments and we have to decide even little things. A, a lot of little things add up here. Be careful. I was reading somewhere, or maybe I heard it somewhere that recently that right now on an average we have between, I think it was, there's a wide range I know, but they said between ten dollars and $17,000 worth of consumer debt represented by families right now, most of that on credit cards, most of it. Now, sometimes there are legitimate reasons for why people accumulate such debt. A lot of the times, why is it that people accumulate such debt? Because of materialism. We've convinced ourselves that we can't live within our means, and so we're going to leverage our ability to borrow money that we can't afford to pay back to have what we want. And that's what feeds the credit card debt crisis in our country, right? Not every case. I'm not speaking condemnation here, but I am simply saying don't spend more than you make. And then how about invest wisely? Invest wisely. Seek to multiply what you have with good motivation. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. Why? Because that person has something invested. They want to see their money grow for good purposes. They want to invest. They want to see it multiply. Recently and even before, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to talk to some young people who set out pursuing business degrees, some of them at Christian institutions of higher education, so that they could leave the degree program, and many of them, perhaps most of them that I know anyway, are going to start businesses. Some of them have already done it. They're entrepreneurs of some kind or another. They're going to start businesses, and, and they have as a goal to, to really do well, start the business well, build it well, and make money. I mean, that is a goal that they have. They want to make money. Now, some of you are like, oh, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, hang on. Let me finish. What's motivating them? They're starting businesses as young entrepreneurs with good training from their colleges and universities for the express purpose of making money to heavily invest in advancing the gospel and making disciples. It's cool to talk to these people. I mean, they, they are built differently than a lot of people that you'll ever talk to when it comes to being successful in this life because their plan is to give most of it away. And they want to make as much as they can to give it all away or at least most of it, maybe not all of it, so that people can have the gospel in other places of the world, so that people can have Bibles in their language who don't presently have a Bible in their, in their spoken language. And so that is their goal. They set out with that motivation. Some of them have a narrow focus. Some of them have a more broad focus. But they're investing and they're trying to build wealth for one goal and one goal only, and that is to make disciples. I would say they have the gift of giving, wouldn't you? And I would say that even if you don't have that aspiration or even if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you in that way, it still serves as an example for how we should view our resources. In doing so, 
going along with spending less than you earn, obviously, that allows you to avoid debt, doesn't it? Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. That consumer debt is certainly a master, a very cruel master that will keep you enslaved. So avoid it. Those who serve well with the gift of giving are thinking this as they make decisions on what they will purchase and what they won't, what debt they will accrue and what debt that they won't. And they are very careful with that because they're motivated by giving as much as they can to advancing gospel. And then, of course, these are those who give in Ecclesiastes 11. Send your bread on the surface of the waters, for after many days you may find it. That ties in with what Charles Spurgeon was telling us and with the promise that Paul made to the Philippian church that as you have given, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by, through, and in Christ Jesus. Good managers of their resources if they are serving well with the gift of giving. The next thing that these will do is that they will give humbly and quietly. And we have a passage of Scripture. I want to walk through this in Matthew 6. It's a warning. It's also an admonition. Notice this, beginning in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. And it's interesting where he goes with the practice of righteousness, right? What is, what, what is the example that he gives? Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, this is it. This is the lesson. It's on giving as a, as a way of practicing your righteousness in front of other people for the wrong motivation. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by the people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Those with the gift of giving, I think, cultivate an understanding for this. They want to honor God with their giving and so they're careful in how they give and what motivates them. They're not out to be noticed for their giving. They don't expect anything in return for their giving. Let me just talk about that for a few minutes. That's one of the ways that churches can be corrupted. You have people who heavily invest in a particular faith community, and they expect certain things, right? That happens. That happens. They expect to be heard louder than anybody else, right? They expect for their ideas to be embraced more readily than anyone else's. They expect something in return for their giving. They're not giving out of the proper motivation. That is dangerous and it corrupts a faith community. Instead, serve well with your gift of giving. Give humbly and quietly and anonymously. Do you have the capacity to generously give and nobody else even know what's happened? Do you have that capacity? Or would you rather be known? Would you rather receive something that documents what you've given rather than just giving without anybody else knowing? Don't be motivated by recognition of any kind. That's not humble, and it certainly isn't quiet. 
The next thing that we'd want to do to serve well with this gift of giving is to respond efficiently, to respond efficiently to what we'll call simple requests. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's look at Matthew 5. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Someone has a need, they're inquiring about this, it's in your ability to do so, just respond efficiently. Don't make them beg for it. Don't turn them away in their need. They've asked to borrow or have some of your resources, and you certainly have them. Meet the need. Uh, do it efficiently. There, there's not supposed to be a turning away here or a guilting or a shaming because someone is in need or, or making them beg so that their need gets met. That, that's all missing here. The idea is there's a need, and those with resources are to respond to that simple request in an efficient way. That's what glorifies God. Maybe some of you have been in that position. You've had some profound needs in your life. You've made your request known, and someone has responded to meet the need. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's helpful, isn't it? Yes, and that's the way that we should be giving. Those who serve well with their gift of giving, this is how they respond. They respond to these requests in a God-honoring way. These who serve well with the gift also know about the joy that there is in giving of their resources to help others. They know this principle that's taught here. Look at Acts 20, 35 with me. In every way I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those who serve well with this gift understand the blessedness, the happiness, if you will, the joy that comes from utilizing their resources and giving them away. And they know what that feels like. They enjoy that much more than receiving. In fact, I've known some of these who when they receive something, especially when they receive it unexpectedly, their first inclination is, how can I use this to be a blessing? I don't need it myself. It's come to me unexpectedly. What can I do to help someone else? I've seen God's children work through that process in their life, and it's most encouraging. That's what we do when we serve well with the gift of giving. And then finally, they are properly motivated. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each person should do as he has decided. This is talking about giving, that collection that Paul was talking about being taken up for the saints. You should do this as you have decided in your heart, not grudgingly, reluctantly, not because you feel like you have to or out of necessity or duty, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. A cheerful giver as opposed to someone who gives grudgingly, reluctantly, out of necessity, or because they've been manipulated to give. A cheerful giver gives willingly and freely, and that is the proper motivation. A proper motivation that is driven by God's clear leading in your heart, as you have decided in your heart, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
So those who serve well with this gift, that's what it is to be characterized by. And as we close our time, this is what it looks like in real life. According to the Macedonian churches, as they serve as a good example, how did they give? Let me give you four characteristics here, four marks. This is what it looks like in in full living color, if you will, to give in a properly motivated, generous way. First of all, as Paul gives us the record, these were people that gave in this way while being afflicted by poverty. You remember the principle? We do it no matter what situation we find ourselves in life, no matter what end of the spectrum we're on or anything in between. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, during a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. They were poor. They didn't have anything to spare by human standards. And they blew Paul away with their giving. And they just poured it on generously while being afflicted. In that, they certainly gave more than they could afford to do so. More time, more money, more effort, more resources than they could afford to spare. 2 Corinthians 8.3, I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. Beyond their ability. How does that happen? Well, it's obviously energized by the grace of God, but it involves faith. If I'm ever going to go beyond my comfort zone, if I'm going to ever go beyond what I think that I can spare or afford to let go of, that means that I must trust God. I must have the faith of the Philippian church, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Okay, God, I'm going to trust that, and I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to go beyond what is expected, beyond what could ever be explained, and I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to need you to meet my needs because I'm going there. I feel strongly impressed to go there. Here I go. Meet my needs. That takes faith, doesn't it? Of course. These also gave with earnest zeal with emotional investment. They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. They wanted Paul to take this money and use it for their good and the glory of God. We are invested in this. We are earnest about this. We are zealous about this. This has reached our heart. We are motivated by our emotions. We're invested in this way. We want you to take this money, even though it doesn't make much sense for us to give like this. We're invested. They were all in in their giving, and there was no turning back. There was no persuading them to do anything else. They were fully convinced of this. Finally, all of this was possible because they were truly consecrated, dedicated, committed to the Lord. What does 2 Corinthians 8, 5 say? And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord, gave themselves then to us by God's will. You know, there's an old hymn 
entitled, Is Your All on the Altar? You ever sing that hymn? You know that hymn? Usually it's sung during invitations where people are invited to make decisions about God's word in their heart and in their life. It's a good question for us to ponder today. Are we all in? Is our all on the altar? Is everything that God's given to us at his disposal, hands off, loosely holding, all in for the kingdom, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, for the making of disciples? Are we all in?